but let's be real to uh, to become skilled and good and well equipped at anything it will take years you know you're not becoming skilled and equipped at any new job until at least year three because year one you're just on the learning curve year two it's feeling better it's feeling comfortable i've seen this before year three you actually reach your stride so you have to say how many years do i have to build my skill set versus wait could i just give invest with this group over here on the passive side and i don't have to worry about building my skill set While that sounds like hey, lucky you, Julie, you have a silver spoon in your mouth type thing. I'm actually first generation in commercial real estate and specifically commercial real estate acquisitions for apartment complexes and assisted living facilities. And so I'm doing something that actually the rest of my family is not in the loop of and does not understand. And I've had to forge my own path. It's been absolutely powerful. Um, and that pursuit of financial freedom that so many people are after, I have learned, um, I have transitioned that to a new phrase of personal freedom, really truly having full agency over ourselves, our lives, our creativity, our relationships, and, you know, every element of our life. And that's where the Conscious Investor podcast comes into play. So I really have the opportunity to serve investors on the active and passive side in really living out a very full, rich life. And I love it. That's that's awesome. So you started essentially from scratch. Your family doesn't come from real estate, but you've you've chosen the path and you've learned the um, the whole industry. And now you're able to teach other others how to invest and invest passively. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. And my family does. My family is real estate. They okay. are residential real estate and Got residential it. real estate and commercial real estate are very different. And even my husband and I starting out with single family homes. That's a very different path than multi-million large commercial enterprises. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. There's different valuations and nuances, closings, a little bit of a different process. But uh, and you're you're able to bring more people to the uh, to the deal in commercial, and everyone can partake and um, enjoy the fruits for sure. Um, what about real? What what about commercial real estate drew you to it? What was the um, the driving force? So we had um, some single family and that was great. Self-managed. That was fine. We always had reserves. Our, we never had anybody delinquent. We had the best residents ever. Um, but I just started feeling vulnerable. I started feeling exposed like, wow, hmm, these properties are getting older. If X, Y, Z happens, then they're going to need X, Y, Z. They're going to need a new roof and that's going to be 15 grand and it's going to need maybe some exterior work, maybe fence work. Well, that's another, you know, eight to 12 grand, depending on what kind you're going with. And you start doing the math on it and looking at the revenue coming in. And even, you know, if you're getting $500 a month, you know, what is that? Six grand a year? Like, how is that going to cover all of the expenses necessary for that? And uh, my husband is a huge advocate, you know, for exploration as well. And he said, you know what, just do some research. In that process of doing research, I um, discovered apartment syndication and I was blown away. I have a background as a public school educator as well as real estate investor. And so it was just like, Oh my gosh, my love of these two worlds, my love of these two spaces of 
serving people through educating them and meeting them, you know, where their needs are and my passion for real estate. It was like, it was all combined. Um, and on the upside, not only do I get to win, but everyone else gets to win. And I'm very much like a advocate and champion for people. I just love people tremendously. And so that felt really great. And it also aligned with that larger goal of how are we mitigating the vulnerability that we have? So we'll put it simply, and I'm sure, you know, listener, maybe you've heard this before, but let's just take a simple 10, 10 unit apartment complex. That's on a really small scale. We don't generally touch anything less than a hundred units, but we'll go with 10, right? And so if I have a vacancy, I still have nine other units that are paying. And the best part about, you know, the large commercial space, and this goes for all commercial assets, is that there's a business plan backing it. Now, many people who are in the single family space, I think would recognize, would probably resonate with we really didn't have a business plan in play for our single family properties, right? And I think a lot of people on the single family side will tend to, oh, I'm just going to acquire these properties in a casual way and they're going to cash flow and it's going to be fine. And there isn't an actual plan behind it. And I love the fact that behind our apartment complex, assisted living um, facilities, there's a business plan behind it. And we're planning for all the, we're planning for the vacancy. We're planning for, you know, capital expenditures that will need, roofs do need to be replaced. And AC, HVAC stuff does need to be maintained. And, And so having a plan in place, honestly, just made me feel so at ease. And I thought, I cannot believe I was raised in real estate on the residential side and never, never once heard that this was an option. So I've been an advocate and an ambassador for years now. Yeah. And I I think it's just because it feels so out of touch for so many people to to purchase a large apartment complex. You drive up to it, you see the pool, you see the clubhouse, you see uh, 10 or 15 buildings. And it's just, um, uh, it's, it's for Wall Street. So it's uh, once you discover syndication and you can buy one, take it down as a group, then it kind of opens your eyes up to a whole different world. Um, and the business plan and professionalism around the commercial real estate field is, um, I, I mean, it's second to none. It's, um, it's just um, very gratifying executing the business plan, watching the, uh, the community just just change just by, um, by new ownership. Um, where are you all investing right now? Where you're, you're up? complexes uh, located? We are primarily in the Midwest, although we do have um, a holding in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, Winston, we're doing ground up development in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, and we do cover the spectrum. We only invest in um, in assets that will provide housing for humans. <laughs> That's only yeah. the best way to put it because I had shiny object syndrome. There were so many great asset classes out there. It's like, oh my gosh, that light industrial. Oh, that looks so great. And oh, the, you know, self-storage looks so great. I mean, we could just, I had shiny object syndrome. It slowed me down. And so really for for us, it was like, well, for me, it was looking at what is it I feel um, compelled to accomplish through my investing? Because it's not just about our investing should never just be about dollars and cents. There's always an opportunity for a greater contribution to the world. And that's where it's like, we only, we will only invest in things that provide housing for humans. Um, So everything from uh, literally vanilla 
class be fully stabilized in Minneapolis, <laughs> uh, Minnesota, to the ground up construction in North Carolina. Um, we have, you know, light value add that we're preparing to exit in Des Moines, Iowa. We also have um, assisted living communities in uh, in throughout Wisconsin. So a little, you know, I'm finding I love and I gravitate towards the heartland. I really like the returns that are, you know, available in the Midwest. The competition is different, um, tremendous upside. We don't chase appreciation um, in large MSAs like a lot of people do. Uh, and I think, you know, kudos to the people who do that, but we can make really strong returns and gain the appreciation without having to speculate as to what's going to take place. And that again, leads into that stability. So, hey, the Midwest, aren't they always like the backbone yeah. of America? <laughs> well, it's it's steady Betty because you can truly, past performance is typically your future results. And um, it kind of goes to the question, would you rather prefer higher occupancy or uh, higher rental rates? Kind of like Texas, you'll have higher rental rates, but you'll have 10 or 15% vacancies. Whereas Midwest, your your higher occupancy, lower rental rates, but it's still a steady cap. No uh, erratic upswings of population, job growth. Um, and a lot of MSAs, you have Fortune 500 uh, companies, just like here in Cincinnati. It's um, it's kind of know what we're what we're what we're up against. Um, Atlanta, that's a that's a massive market, and there's a ton of ton of opportunity. In Atlanta, um, yeah. Just in the Sun Belt, no, you've got uh, different things happening. What are you seeing with the economic environment and in, um, in some of these areas? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, considering we are staying in the, um, I mean, where we invest is always what is our, we have, you know, multiple streams of income coming in, or, you know, like we have multiple. Um, I'm like, where did my words go? But so, I mean, we have different agencies at play, right? I mean, you think about Minneapolis. Minneapolis has is a concentrated place for Fortune 500 companies. Um, it's not say if we were going to compare that to Winston Salem. Um, Winston Salem is tech heavy, so that could potentially have an effect within that community. But then at, down in Winston-Salem, we've got colleges and we have some other backbone stabilizing factors. And so anytime we're investing, we're looking at if one of these industries gets taken offline, what is going to support uh, you know, our projections so that we we know that we can stay upright and that it's not going to be a heavy lift uh, you know, with economy and layoffs and, and such. Yeah, yeah, multiple large large industry providers such as your, your car, not necessarily car manufacturing, but at least uh, you've got your corporate. Uh, uh, like here, we've got Kroger's, which is it's massive. They provide a ton of jobs, and then you've got uh, GE. You've got um, um, uh, Amazon. They just built a one point four billion dollar airport, which provides jobs. But it's just a mixture. Healthcare is huge. Uh, mixture of of jobs that create or. Uh, uh, employers that create jobs that um, you're not focusing on just one like manufacturer closes up shop now the town closes up shop right so. exactly and that that's something i was um i grew up in california outside silicon valley and i got to see what happened with every economic turn and because my family was in real estate that very much impacted 
what was taking place in real estate in the Central Valley. And so every time the economy shifted, you would have an influx of people up, you know, they can't afford houses over there. They're coming over into the Central Valley up, you know, the economy crashed, housing prices are down they're going to migrate back over there. Um, and then when we had the dot-com crash, right, that just seeing what took place has forever left an impression on me that you can never, you can never put all your eggs in one basket. You must have other stabilizing pillars within your uh, community that you're investing in. Yeah. And, and even like right now, the, um, I think the importance of investing in real estate, you've got the, the M2 money supply just hit a negative. That hasn't happened, but five five times in history, you've got uh, um, all of these. The, the, the Swartz report just came out, and you've got um, lenders' uh, restrictions are are right at 2019's level. It's, it's different things are happening, so it's kind of like put your money in real estate. You know where it's going to be, and you can you can get it on the on, a, on the other side. So it's different um, different economic drivers. What are you all seeing when? Right now, are you all uh, looking for for assets to purchase, looking for new complexes, and then uh, what are you seeing in the market? Okay, all of that, but I, before I, I want to go back to what you were saying because putting our money in real estate right now is, I think, the most um, critical thing for for people to be doing at this point in the global economy. We see a lot of different transitions taking place with currencies. And with those transitions, um, that can displace a lot of things. You know, the dollar isn't strong. And so, and now we have these competing currencies on the, you know, even, you know, the U.S. government is trying to generate its own, you know, crypto, its own electronic currency and such. And so when we see the impact of those things, um, we should be saying, uh, inflation is taking place. My money in the bank is not grow is not growing and I am losing every single day because I'm backed by a dollar. When we are backed by something that is a hard, tangible, real asset, now regardless, this is what I, I've been talking with investors about, regardless of what the currency is. Now, I am not a doomsdayer type person, but I am saying like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's not the first time currency has changed. I mean, I remember when the euro came out and things like that, like this isn't something new. And if we look at history over the centuries, we've had we've always had changes in currencies and it's not something to be alarmed by, but it is something to say what is backing my currency? What is backing my retirement? And when we put it into hard tangible real estate, the value of the building is not subordinate to a dollar or to a euro or a yen or a Bitcoin or anything like that. The value of that hard tangible real estate is its value, right? So it's nice to know that basically I have frozen my, the value of my money is here contained in this building and whatever changes happen in the world, but the value of what I have is contained in this physical, tangible yeah. asset. And I think that that's a really important perspective that's unique to us at this time in history for us to be looking at and saying, okay, things are changing. That's okay. It's changed throughout the centuries. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to protect my financial status and, you know, the well-being of my family? Yeah, and it's just being informed and being aware of, of what is happening. And just so you can you can know what your next five moves are. There's um, there's being proactive and taking uh, taking the right steps. Um, 
So you all are, um, I, I believe, 500 plus units as a GP general partner. Is that correct? Yeah, it might be uh, more than that now. But then we're going to okay. be, but we're exiting some. So I'm like, oh, that's going to be interesting. You know, <laughs> it's always going to be toggling a little bit. <laughs> well, and you've got to fill the cup back up. Real estate is uh, very capital intensive. You've got to fill the cup back up that offloading a couple assets to purchase more assets. It's just, uh, that's, that is the, that's the game. Every industry has a game and that's a part of it. And then you'll probably that 500 plus will go to 800 and then a thousand just by exiting a couple more. So, um, are you all third party property management or do you all, uh, manage in house? Yeah, actually. So in my different partnerships, we have it, we have some different structures. So on the assisted living, um, one of the things I value about the assisted living facilities is that is managed in-house. So that is integrated. And there's an importance behind that. You know, when you're dealing with the livelihood and when you're dealing with dignified care for, for our seniors, um, you really want to ensure that there isn't a gap in the communication process. Uh, and we had had we had an experience with a third party management group uh, before we made the transition to integrating it in house. And with that, um, you know, it was the the management group was falling short and things were slipping through. And uh, you know, ethically, morally, that's not something that we can let let happen, particularly in that asset class. Um, and then we have a variety. One of my favorites. There, interestingly enough, two two interesting pieces here, right? In Minneapolis, uh, my partners are vertically integrated. And so all of the management is uh, in-house. In fact, when we picked up the last 123 units um, from a local investor's portfolio, we actually acquired his property management group at that time. Nice. And so brought that all in-house. Um, now, that is good. that's a fantastic way to operate. I've also been very impressed in um, our asset in Des Moines, which is very similar in profile to Minneapolis. You know, it's 120 units versus 123. They're both class B. Minneapolis is fully stabilized um, and Des Moines was light value add. But in Des Moines, we actually had a large a, a national group managing that asset. And I was shocked at the capacity that that management group had being on site and touring the facility or touring that complex with that um, uh, that third party management group, you would think, oh my gosh, you're a big national, you know, management group. You're going to be so removed from this, but they have such strong SOPs that I think they, they operate nimbly. They operate effectively. We were able to, um, I mean, we hit our our third year, our second year projections, we hit within three quarters. So it it was really powerful. So I think all of this to say is that I think it's good to have um, having these variety experiences has kind of lent me to say this works really well, but that doesn't mean it works extremely well. And it and let's let's face it, it favors everybody when we have in-house, when we're fully integrated. But it's not a disservice if we're using a third-party management company that is aligned with our values and has strong SOPs. Yeah, you answered that perfectly because it is um, it could be a blessing and a curse to have third-party. And if you have the right company that has the right SOPs, the right uh, chain of command, right personnel, the right balance, then and they know they they know exactly what they're doing day in and day out. They can be extremely effective. Yeah. Um, 
you go through one bad property manager and you're like, wow, I uh, can't, we can't do this one again, but that can be totally turned, turned around by the right, the right company. And you found one that, that truly fits. And now you, it's almost like, how do you grow faster off of utilizing this same company? If you have that, that experience with that one asset, what's it look like on maybe two or three? And that's where you can truly scale is, is finding those right partners. Cause, um, Self-managing is tough. It is extremely tough because your 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 focus is scattered, your energy is scattered, and uh, ultimately the the property does do better. But you're you're not compounding down on your focus. Um, what would be what, uh, one of the biggest learning lessons that you've had so far in your career? I've learned so much. I had that's that's great. I'm at a point in the year where I'm doing a lot of reflection. Um, I think one of the, this is, this is a soft skill. This isn't a hard skill, um, but trusting your intuition is really, really critical. And uh, I removed myself, I, I graciously, and I knew that I could put myself on a blacklist with, with this particular partnership, but I removed myself from a, a deal. I withdrew from it and the deal looked great. It was fantastic. I mean, like, I love the partners. I love the deal. I had gone and visited the, the asset. I'd walked it toward it, done it all on my own, on my own dime, all of that. I, and something wasn't sitting right and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I trusted that, which was terrifying. It's terrifying. I already had investors. I'd already launched it and I had investors interested to call, call those investors and say, Hey, you know, I, one to call the, the, the fellow partners and say, you know, I, I'm sorry. I like you guys. I like the deal. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I just, I can't explain it, but I need to withdraw. Um, and then I, you know, calling those investors and saying, I can't explain it. Um, that felt very gutsy to me and it was greatly rewarded. The deal fell apart a month later, which I think that was God just smiling down saying, here you get to see the end result we don't always get to see the end result yep, right and so with that it affirmed me in trusting my intuition as i look at deals as i reveal view deals and partners and even our you know limited partners that are coming into the deals like really listening to that intuition to say is this fully aligned instead of being dismissive and relying fully on the tangible logical you know <laughs> left side of the brain but trusting what the right side of the brain has to offer. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've went against my intuition a couple of times and I've let myself down. It's a, uh, and ultimately it doesn't come out until it comes out and things happen for us, not to us. It's just when you find out why it's happening is it's, uh, it's enlightening. Um, and then learning lessons along the way and never do that again, or it just makes you grow bigger and, um, you know, more, more wise along the years. But, um, that's a good thing with real estate is just, you'll, you're, you're never going to, be ahead of the next guy ahead of you. I started doing the uh, the morning uh, or the uh, miracle morning, and that's been incredible. I'm on like I think day fifteen, but it's, nice. um, it's a wild journey. It, what you can get done in the uh, the four o'clock hours is just a total silence, and it's it's wild. I'd I'd recommend it to anybody. Um, Definitely. So, say a um, an investor they don't know if they want to go active or passive. What are some what are some distinctions between the two that you would recommend an investor kind of choose between how to find their, their, their guidance? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, if we want to look at active and let's look at active on, on a, 
on a couple different scales, right? So we could be an active investor and we could have one, two, five, you know, single family properties, small multifamily that we are managing ourselves. And when we think about, we, we had to find the deal, we had to source the deal, we had to develop the relationships, we had to um, negotiate the deal, have our offer accepted and negotiate it. We have to do all the inspections, we have to do uh, add the risk capital, and then we're signing our name on a loan. That's everything on the active side, regardless of if you're on the small, small you know, mom-pa side of, I'm just going to have a few assets on my own. But the question is, is that when you're putting all these down payments down, are you getting where you want to go? And that's the question that people need to ask. They need to say, what is it I'm really trying to generate in my life? My husband always says, are you giving yourself another job? Because I like to do a lot of different things. He's like, are you giving yourself another job? And on the active side, it is another job. And people make it seem like, oh, it's so easy. It's so effortless. Yeah, because they have experience. And when you are experienced at something, it should look easy and it should look effortless. If it doesn't, stay away from that person (laughs) because (laughs) they don't know what the heck they're doing. Okay. But when we think about, um, let's just say I put, you know, $50,000 as a down payment on a duplex of my own. And let's just, if I'm looking at what I'm going to yield from that, and all the effort that I have to put into that compared to if I put $50,000 over into, um, you know, a passive investment, if somebody said, Hey, Julie, you know, what? here's $50,000. So, you know, here's a hundred, um, grow this for me. They just bypassed all of the headache, all the nonsense. Their name isn't on the loan. They don't have any risk involved except they, they better, you know, I have to perform that's I'm the risk. I'm the liability, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, in the economy, but those are risks that they're going to have anyway. Yep. And so now they have the time freedom. And so if you're looking for, hey, I love my job. I like my lifestyle. I don't want to add more on my plate, but I do know real estate is a great way to invest. Then we can say, just go on the passive side. And if you're an active investor who is in a syndication you know, space, such you know, like we are, then you really had better be on the passive side also. Because we have to stay close to what our investors are experiencing. And so I love it. I mean, I think about, you know, the distance at $50,000 goes in projections. I mean, real time, I can say, hey, I make off of one $50,000 investment. I make $300 a month. I don't do a thing. It just shows up in my account and I, it feels great. I'm like, well, that's, that's super awesome. Oh, wait, they just did a cash out refi. Oh, and I just got this chunk of change tax-free delivered to my account and I didn't do anything. Thank you. That felt really great. Oh, you guys are selling and I'm going to get all the upside of that now. Whoa, thank you. I didn't do any of that. Right. I just bet on the jockey. I chose correctly. So I, you really have to evaluate what do you want to accomplish? What's your end game? What's your goal? How much time do you want to invest in it? And there is a learning curve. And so do you want to spend your free time learning about real estate and do you want to invest years becoming you know equipped to do that successfully it's not like it's rocket science it's not rocket science so i don't want to misguide anybody being scared or anything but let's be real to uh, to become skilled and good and well equipped at anything it will take years you know you're not becoming skilled and equipped at any new job until at least year three 
because year one, you're just on the learning curve. Year two, it's feeling better. It's feeling comfortable. I've seen this before. Year three, you actually reach your stride. So you have to say, how many years do I have to build my skill set versus, wait, could I just give invest with this group over here on the passive side and I don't have to worry about building my skill set? Yeah, and you still get the communications. You get um, you get to be in in touch with what's happening on the operations side. It's just not being actively involved on on all of the uh, nuances, the uh, the tenants, the termites, the toilets, and all that good stuff in some cases. But it's um, and without one, you don't have the other. So that that's the power of taking taking down a large asset with a lot of people, and you get the a lot of times investors get the better part of the deal depending on the splits i mean it just oh my gosh (laughs) i will say we have a we have a deal um that's that we had a deal i should say um and it was an 80 20 split in favor of our limited partners that's incredible (laughs) i mean hi you get 80 percent of the lion's share that's a screaming deal That's a, and if it's a value add, it's it, it's gratifying if if everything's balanced out. Some some are uh, learning lessons though too. Just that everything's there's a balanced everything, and um, you know just how how heavy is lift. So you all are uh, you all are getting totally out of value add, just sticking with core plus. Is that no, correct? Or? No, we're we're fine with value add. I, okay. no, you know it really it depends on you make your money when you buy right. Yeah. True. And so it's, you know, if this, if something can pencil out on the front end and we can have the the peace of mind that we can execute in a timely way to ensure that that delivers, great. Yeah. But not hunting down those type of opportunities necessarily. Yeah, because yeah, you have to buy them right. I mean, it is critically important that the CapEx budget can, can uh, sink or swim the deal for sure. Time. And, all, and the older the property, the more of the more of those nuances come up and just money goes down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes real fast. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's, it's fun along the process, watching a, a, an asset go from where it is to very cool looking and feeling good, but it is it's a lot of work. Hats off to the yeah. uh, sponsorship team. Um, so what's, what does the future look like for you all? How big do you want to get, uh, get your real estate portfolio and uh, the operation? Yeah, I I don't have a number for that, which is really interesting. Um, I invest in a, in a way and from a different ethos than a lot of investors, and it's really a passion to support people and um, to be a, a gateway, a conduit for people to find and discover another way of investing. And so... I mean, that ultimately is my goal is going for impact. And when God says, cool, impact's been reached, I'll be like, cool, maybe I'll sit back on the next project. And I don't know what the next thing will be, but um, it really is. It's more about humans and impacting families. And I know some people say, I want to impact a million lives. Well, I don't want to limit it. I want, I want to just keep going. (laughs) I, I don't want a limitation. Like I don't want Oh, you're the million and first person. I already did my thing. Peace out. You know, like, no, I want to keep going until every person who wants to invest has had the opportunity to make their, the investments that they're looking for. Yeah. Very cool. Are you all looking for retail investors only, or do you work with family offices? 
You know, so far we haven't looked at, you know, worked with family offices. I've heard pros and cons to it uh, from people who have worked with them. Um, I have considered going to some family office conferences. Um, But, and while I should say, and while I believe in serving them as well, because every person, every income, every bracket needs support. They have, they're just different challenges and problems they're trying to solve, right? I mean, family office, the problems that they're trying to solve are still legitimate problems. Just because people have money doesn't mean that it's like, oh, well, you have money if you lose a little bit, no big deal. No, they, they're being responsible and protective and careful and mindful. And I love that. Um, so, so I'd love to work like with family office. That'd be fun. That'd be great. Yeah. I also love, you know, the first time investors that we're able to support. And I just love all the repeat investors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If, um, Julie, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and learn more about your, yourself and, the, and your company, how can they reach out? Yeah, just head over to our website. Three, it's all spelled out and everything's kind of plural. Threekeysinvestments.com. And if you head there, you can check things out. And if you don't mind, we have, I have, I am hosting an event in North Idaho. Um, and it's, it's really going to be interesting because it's blending together investing with everything else that I believe the conscious investor, meaning health mindset and wealth. And I've got just powerful friends flying in from across the country to pour into people for a weekend. Yeah, that's awesome because you you have to ha- grow both together. Your mind has to be there in order to grow the other side. That's that's huge. And if Very you don't cool. have your health, yeah, it's all for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> yep, it's, uh, concentrate on that first <laughs> for that's, sure. It, that is that is the first echelon of of the conscious investor. It all starts with health because like if we don't have our health, we're miserable people, <laughs> and that's all Absolutely. we can focus on. <laughs> Julie, it's been great talking to you. I certainly look forward to following you and uh, we will certainly talk soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks, Julie. Bye.